Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and today I am joined by three of my colleagues, all previously on this show, Dr. Matt Zanis, Dr. Emily Spleichel, and Coach Joseph Bautista. We wanted to come together today to discuss shoes. If anyone knows any of us or has listened to some of our conversations, you will know how passionate we are about the function of the foot and being barefoot. But we know there's a time and a place for shoes as well. And we also know that most people don't know the difference between shoes and the features of shoes. So we wanted to have that discussion about what these features are for, what different shoes are used for, and why they should really be tools to help us rather than just things we throw on our feet. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think this conversation will be very helpful for you in how you both train and help your athletes. Gosh. Oh, gosh. No, you you gotta own those man calluses. No, 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 no. You've worked hard for those. No, I no, I don't. <laughs> That's it. I don't. It comes very natural. Uh, oh my gosh. All right, you guys. Oh. Welcome to the podcast today. I am crazy excited to have all of you on here. We are talking about what pretty much no one wants to talk about, what no one is talking about, but what we absolutely love talking about. Um, And that is shoes, but not like most people want to talk about. (laughs) We don't care about the media hype and everything else that marketing tells us we need to do. We are here to talk about everything else. Um, But first and foremost, you all have been on this podcast before, but I'll just let you quickly introduce yourselves. Who else do we have on here today? Ladies first, go ahead, Emily. Uh, so Dr. Splickle, Dr. Emily, a functional podiatrist, human movement specialist, barefoot educator. Um, I've been actually a consultant for some of the top footwear industry, so I'll give some good insight around that. Um, consultant for Nike Innovation Kitchen, Vibram, Vivo Barefoot, Zero Shoes, um, Atrix, a myriad of others. Um, so have some insight on that, but I'm very passionate about getting my patients and people out of their footwear, out of orthotics, and optimizing natural foot function. And my slogan is barefoot strong, so. (laughs) (laughs) Barefoot strong. (laughs) We got to release this video, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, Matt. Oh, Matt, yeah. Sure. Yeah. My name is uh, Dr. Matthew Zanis. I am a physical therapist, movement expert, and human performance coach out of Phoenix, Arizona as well. And uh, I'm a guy who grew up in the backwoods of Pennsylvania and had some really crappy feet growing up, playing 16 years of baseball, being a catcher, and being in cleats my whole life. I actually never knew what it was like to actually squat with your heels down until I (laughs) was probably in late high school and I found strength and conditioning. Uh, But I was that kid that walked like a duck. I essentially had flippers for feet, and it wasn't until I found the, the philosophies of strength conditioning and human movement rehabilitation, kind of put all those together and learned that you know, the human foot is just like really 
any other body part, you could strengthen it. And it took me about three years, but I went from a size 12 and a half to a size 10 and a half shoe over that time, uh, slowly progressing myself out of really crappy footwear. And we can get into that story as well. And going to more of a, a barefoot lifestyle and watching all these, uh, not only all these nagging pains and injuries disappear, but also improve my athletic performance. So I've, I've taken that now into all the high level Olympians uh, that I work with uh, for summer sports games with the United States Olympic Committee, and then also into uh, Navy Special Warfare and a lot of other high end military, including some of the Phoenix SWAT and police here in Arizona. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, my background isn't uh, technically classically educated. Uh, so, I have a ton of admiration for everything that every, you guys have all accomplished. I'm I'm basically black roots, brick and mortar. I grew up as a martial artist, third generation. So martial arts was something that I had no choice, but it was a way of life. I honestly did not know what it was like to wear shoes until I went to school. You know, uh, as a martial artist, we, we don't, we, we walk around barefoot. We kick barefoot. We train barefoot. We get on grass, rock. We, we do everything barefoot. So in essence, what is a movement for some other people was quite frankly, a way of life for me. Then as I started going into when people started sharing their informations on shoes and how to do this, how to do that, little did I know, I grew up with a condition known as Morton's toe. Now, those of you, you guys already know that. I didn't know that there was something wrong with my foot in the way shoes were made because they weren't made for somebody with my condition of Morton's toe where the, uh, the, the, the middle digit of my toe actually extends and it's prominent above my larger toe so i'm always pushing off that toe instead of my larger toe for a lot of things which uh, anytime i put myself in a regular shoe which is where you know why, why um i'm joining you guys on this i felt almost as if anybody's seen uh uh, uh the birdcage i felt a lot like agador spartacus i do not wear shoes they make me fall down <laughs> and, and that was like a very good correlation i have fallen more times in shoes tripped in shoes than I have being barefoot and I fought as a sport as well as I teach people how to fight I I do my exercise my training and my physicality all of it barefoot as much as possible the only time I don't wear barefoot is well we're in Arizona I gotta go outside <laughs> oh but uh, my background I've been in the fitness industry for uh, about 17 18 years uh, I'm a single dad to a very athletic daughter. We live barefoot. We act barefoot. Our shoes replicate barefoot. Uh, and I've even learned a bunch of things, tricks and trade growing, uh, growing through this field on this end, uh, just kind of like, well, I wasn't taught how to do anything. So let's see what I can break. And so learning through those things, I was able to kind of like weave my way into, Hey, here's the information that actually works. Uh, I'm not a layman, but I'm kind of in between layman, so I can I can kind of be a nice little, I guess you'd say, interpreter for a lot of individuals that, you know, it can come off as overwhelming. Hey, here's barefoot. This is why you need to do it. This is the benefits, you know, and I come from a similar path line of, you know, I learned a lot of things that you guys have learned, but I still think of it as a layman, way more layman's because uh, I didn't get that proper education. I, I do wish that I did, but the education that I have learned is really awesome and I'm kind of almost figuring out why the hell do I have more shoes than I, uh, than I've ever had in my life. And my flip-flop collection is just uh, enormous. <laughs> you know, I, to be in full honesty, as far as being a layman versus us being trained, 
in school, like this isn't taught. Like we can like PT school, podiatry school, med school, they teach how to brace everything, how to not pronate. And, and so like, we all kind of just figured this out through our own searches as well. Yeah. I actually had a mentor through PT school who re will remain nameless. And this just, it's, it sparked my brain, Joseph, after you told that story of your background being a martial artist is we had, um, he was a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy who came in with some foot and ankle issues. And this guy tried to prescribe him orthotics. Like tried to do the custom mold orthotics. And I'm like, you realize this guy's barefoot like 95% of his day. Like what good are these orthotics going to do? Are we really just trying to make $600 or do we have the best interest of the patient in mind here? So a lot of that stuff is still being perpetuated today, which is why we're here talking about this now. Yeah. And you know, hands down, uh, you know, from finding all those years, I have collapsed arches. I have heel spurs on both the bottom and the back end of both of my feet. I've got turf toe on both large toes because, because I wasn't able to push off that large toe, that calcium buildup and impact into my toes. I mean, granted, I also play football. Uh, I, you know, I do OCR regularly, even for fun. Uh, I've crashed and burned from, you know, climbing things many times. And it, it, it's, yeah, orthotics don't, don't, uh, don't, can't fix something that, was not caused by an injury or an overpronation. If it's something from stress of usage, yeah, there's no way you're going to be able to brace that with an external component like a shoe that is, you know, overpronated, you know, or excessively narrow or narrow in the wrong points, right? That's another one right there. Uh, uh, let alone making it more wide on the uh, on the outside ball of the foot and excessively, if anything, ho uh, Hoku is probably the closest that came to with a decent shoe where your foot looks buried inside it. I said oh. decent. <laughs> I said decent. Um, you know, uh, but uh, I I realized I can only wear a specific brand of shoe by the way they make it now. Next, I mean, on top outside of Vivo Barefoot. By the way, love my stealths. I'm wearing those things into the ground. <laughs> Man, I think that brings up a good point, though, of you, you being able to fit certain shoes. All of the listeners need to know that every shoe company has their own last and that that is part of their IP or what differentiates them is I'm New Balance and I have my own last. There's not like a uniformed you know, like the metric system or, or something like that, that is uniformed across the world and every company has to conform to that. That's not the way that shoes work and people don't understand that. So a six in one brand is going to be different than a six in another or the toe box of zero shoes is different than the shape of the toe box at Vivo Barefoot. And we need to understand that and appreciate that, which is why I think it's important to have podcasts like this in conversation so people realize that and then the recommendations that we may give to our clients or patients has to appreciate that and you can understand the features the unique shoe shape or foot shape so yours has a morton's you have a morton's toe so okay which shoe last actually doesn't have you know has a little bit more uh friendly shape for those that might have a more and it has to go in that direction yeah yeah right. Some do, that, some don't. right super yeah, yeah. So, what, so what you're telling me is that there's not one best shoe for everybody 
Heck yes. Which is why, which is why it bothers me when people will say the best shoe on the market is, I'll just pick Vivo Barefoot or something like that. And like, this is the shoe where it's like, no, that's my, maybe your shoe. That's your opinion on what you like and what works for you. But that might not work for everybody. So, and, I think, and, and that, hands down, I think that's a strong point. Uh, we do see too, uh, a lot of individuals, you know, social, inf uh, social media influencers, fitness influencers, and in even uh, those that are on the professional side, instead of say the facts of what gives them that opinion, they're just stating the facts that were either fed to them or what makes the shoe sound sexy, appealing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it, it, it comes down to not understanding the difference between marketing and science. Right, we have to understand the context behind what a lot of these influencers and influencers and these athletes are are essentially being told to and or paid to do. Right, that makes the recommendation totally different versus somebody who comes to see us. Like an individualized shoe is just like how we treat any other patient, client, or athlete that comes through the door. It's coming at it from a patient-centered, individualized approach where no two people with foot pain that come through the door that we see are going to be the same. And that's where, yeah, and that's where having that eye for movement, understanding the foot shapes and, and using our knowledge to actually analyze that person and connect to that person individually in front of us, that's what makes the difference. Because then we can get the unique recommendations that we need to actually have a successful long-term outcome versus just putting Band-Aids on things. Right. Shoe stores know this also. That's why they don't carry one shoe. Right. Oh yeah. You can't carry one shoe and <laughs> think that everyone, you have to have a myriad of brands and styles and like support, which we'll get into that. I'm sure. But because they know that there's so many different foot types and trying to put everyone into one type of foot type is the most ridiculous thing that you can do. You just, you can't it, feet are way too fucking complex to do that. But we can cuss. For swear words. Sorry, there will be more. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and this is a. This is not a PG. <laughs> no, 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 I gotta. No. Go, I gotta go get the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> you do have that explicit tag, right? We're good. <laughs> We're good. Sorry. Oh man. You know the. There's a good and bad about the shoe stores because, like, yes, they have all these shoes because they do recognize that different shoes are or foot shapes are going to be better in different shoes. But at the same time, and I used to, so I actually worked at a shoe store, like running shoe store years ago. Um, but it's like, they basically just kind of give everything based on what they think they might see if they do a treadmill analysis or what the marketing companies or the marketers are telling them from the shoe companies. And so at the end of the day, they like, going to a running store or going to whatever shoe store and getting shoes fitted for you still isn't the best necessarily way to do it because they're just doing what the marketing people tell them to as well. I mean, how many shoe stores do you go into where they're actually analyzing gate mechanics? There are, there's some. That do yeah, information you can actually, based you can actually state, state them by name. I mean, Roadrunner, uh, Fleet Feet. These kind of businesses, that is one of their claim to fame. However, I, I, I do believe that the individuals doing the assessments, uh, for lack of a better term, are unqualified. Well, I think 
they, they come with great intentions as well. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe that qualification even sets that apart too, because I know plenty might of- Might be the wrong choice of words. I'd say underqualified yeah. based upon what they have available as their means. For yeah. instance, if- well, I mean, like what I was going to say too, Joseph, is that I believe that like, there's a lot of um, rehabilitation professionals out there as well who still don't analyze gate mechanics barefoot. And they still put them on a treadmill in their Hoka shoes or whatever. It's like, what, what kind of information are you really getting from that? And is that allowing you to put together a plan that's actually useful for that person? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. At the end of the day, they are still sales reps. And if I could convince you to buy the $200 right. shoe versus the $50 shoe, my commission is higher. There's an incentive so, there. Yeah. So we have a, yeah. There's, so then there's a professional. Uh, or, or basically an eth ethical conflict there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know it's there. Business, baby. It's business. <laughs> and today's special. <laughs> but no, that's why I, I educate the patient or through podcasts like this so that the consumer goes insane and looking at a shoe and says, I don't want a stiff counter. I don't want a midsole shank going through it. I want, you know, a traditional to zero drop shoe. I want as little cushion as possible. I want a wide toe box. I want, they know all the features. And then essentially they can take that entire shoe store and dwindle it down to maybe like two, three pairs. And then, you know, then something like that. And then you get somebody at the shoe store, here's all that information, and they look like a deer in headlights. Well, that's why I was going to actually expand, have Dr. Emily expand on that as far as, like, yeah. what are you suggesting they look for when they go in? Because they are still dealing with salespeople who may not even know what they're doing or are trying to sell a certain shoe because they know they're going to get better commissions or a bonus. So if, like, someone's just walking into a shoe store with 100 pairs of shoes, how are they able to narrow it down based on like what you're telling them to look for? Yeah. I mean, are you showing the video on this? I certainly can. Okay. <laughs> well, here we go. It's show and tell time. Oh, <laughs> well, wait, let me get my foot model and everything while we're at it. If we're going to be doing this. <laughs> All right. I can't, I had some, some other shoes, but so this is a Nike, Nike shoe. Um, are we showing shoes? <laughs> you know how old these are <laughs> all right wow so the the features that i tell people to look for is control drop cushion toe box those are like the four things the control comes from the the counter so back here would be a counter where this has no counter um if it does have a counter, it would be like a plastic piece or a cardboard piece and you wouldn't be able to squeeze here. That gives control to the rear foot. The other control goes through the shoe and it, it ends at the sulcus. It's, it's like a shank that it's a plastic piece that you'll actually be able to hit through the bottom. And that shank, which puts you into this, restricts this, which is the rotation of the shoe. And now are we talking about a shoe that's for athletic purposes or every day? Yes, I'll just say athletic right now. Yeah. So heel counter, shank, or this is torsion. So the, the shank restricts torsion. Um, the more you can rotate a shoe like this, the more freedom of movement it has, say. 
And then, so a lot of like Nike's commercials were this, actually every minimal shoe does that. But I actually look at this. So I wanna show, show how much it flexes this way because that's another action of the foot versus just rolling in half like that. Um, but that's control for the heel toe drop. Obviously that's the heel to the toe. This is a transitional shoe drop something that's totally flat flat like a vibram or like a, a flip-flop or a sandal that's zero drop and then a traditional shoe like a new balance is kind of your highest degree of drop um, the more drop you have it puts you into a more plantar flex position which creates rigidity in the foot uh, i can go on and on and say that that's actually beneficial for some people if they have overpronation or you could use it as a mechanical advantage if you're an Olympic lifter. All Ollie shoes have a drop in them, and that's for mechanical advantages. Um, the next thing you can look at is cushion. This is actually like a transitional amount of cushion. Something like a Vivo Barefoot has absolutely no cushion. The more cushion, obviously you're taking away sensory input. And then in the box, you're looking for the width here, as well as the height this way. Um, all minimal shoes talk about having a wide toe box. That just means going this way. And then I guess as an added thing, some people will reference the rocker, but to me, there's much less mechanical effects of having a rocker. I actually like having rockers in shoes. So those what, are the, the key features that I look at. Was it the, those sketcher shoes that used to have the really big rocker that were supposed to build your booty well, up? So actually, I could talk about, instead of just knocking every shoe, there are still situations. Sketcher shape-ups, those are sketcher shape-ups. Shape-ups, that's it. <laughs> so one, Skechers took a really important concept and totally just like, you know, leveraged it in a very dirty way to say, oh, you get higher calf activation, you get higher glute activation. It's the gym without going to the gym, which is a whole like you have to be kind of like a little gullible to believe that, that you're actually gonna get like a J-Lo or it wasn't <laughs> Kim Kardashian, like the spokesperson or something like- But they were wearing it. Exactly, right, so you're gonna get it. But the rocker, the rocker that was in Shape Up, you actually find in Hoka. Mm -hmm. So Hoka's I like for one reason only, and the only reason I like it is that it has a rocker with a, it's actually a stiff shoe. You can't fold a hoka. There's a hard plastic piece across the entire shoe that you, it has no torsion. Where this is good, it sounds like it might be bad, but where this is good would actually be in your ear case, Joseph. Let's say someone has really bad arthritis in the big toe. I'm not saying that you would have to use these, but arthritis in the big toe, um, a plantar plate tear, uh, metatarsalgia, neuromas, and it hurts. We're not having to see a lot of that extra movement and, and demand in areas that. Well, because you don't flex through your joints, you flex through the shoe. The, yeah. The sh and if the someone is that. in pain, this is a good thing. This is a strategy to get them out of pain. And then we have the conversation of normalizing the mechanics or the cost. I think that's a big, big thing you're talking about right there. We, we talked about that gullible community just recently is they're, they're gullible because for lack of a better term, this information that you just shared with us, it's, you know, I mean, there's pieces I didn't know, which is cool and awesome, but mm -hmm. I, 
if I'm somebody who actively went and searched for this kind of information, if we have an individual on the latter end, which is probably a lot of people you've come across too, it's just like, you know, it's, you're literally, it's like almost, uh, for, I hate to say so mean, it almost sounds like you're trying to teach a monkey a math problem. They're like, huh? No, no, no. I'm Nikes all the way. Wait, no, we're not saying you shouldn't. Quick fix. They also yeah. want quick fix. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like walking, anybody who has a child has seen that the, the, the development of walking in a child is a mimicry, not a mastery. Yeah. Right. They mimic it from, you know, being on the belly to, you know, rolling over that that's them establishing an understanding of movement and mimicry and they mimic people walking around and then they try to engage themselves in that mimicry. But then we go backwards. It's never been a mastery of a movement like we we probably should have kids as early as five six and seven relearning walking <laughs> instead of being 50s 40s 30s coming to a professional like you and you having to go against decades of reprogramming well i mean i agree one children are never really taught you're not formally gate training with a child right i agree that they they mimic you they see you stand up and then it's just trial and error and we saw this with our daughter who's one, how she learned to walk. And it was like, I'm gonna fall and hurt myself. And then, okay, I learn. And then I realized that if I go like this too quickly, I fall over. Okay, so where's my center of gravity? And it's, it's really fascinating of how they learn how adaptable the nervous system is. Of course you put shoes on and then they have to adapt to that. And then that's their new normal. But yeah. So it's, but the right. between the two of them and understanding is, is, is incomplete. It's like that, that's a patch for uh, a program that's vital for them that never got updated. Right. And then they're not taught to run either. A so lot are not taught to run. Are we then doing our kids a disservice by putting them in a certain style of shoes from such a very early age? I think yeah. creating a lot of these problems. In general. Shoes in general. Yeah. 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 Shoes in I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest with you right now. Like a lot of the, a lot of the high school kids that I'm seeing, this is the first time where I'm seeing a lot of kids who can't touch their heels down when they walk. Oh, interesting. From the standpoint of, I think that we are, we've essentially adapted and evolved our bodies into this foot position where we have an excessive heel to toe drop just because of the style of the shoe and they think it's cool. But also from the standpoint is that we're sitting all day long on, mm -hmm. on the phones, especially mm -hmm. now with, with today's um, current climate and situation, kids are sitting at home on couches, in their in their desks and whatever and just playing video games watching tv and we're never actually allowing the foot to become flat right they're probably getting overall general fascial tightness right and lack throughout of the whole posterior chain actually yes mm -hmm. yeah yeah so emily you, you talked about all those different components of the shoe and you know adding support here or there and i, I think it's I think it's great, I think, for a time and a place. And uh, where do we start to draw the line then between, okay, now we've got this person who, you know, temporarily had to have a support here or something like that just to, you know, get them over this pain experience. Where do we start now the education process of like, hey, this is not a long-term fix for you. We then have to now transition you into something where we do allow more freedom of the foot to move. Yeah, I mean, so I speak to my patients on that. Once a little bit hard because most patients come to me because they know that I'm going to have that conversation with right. them. So they're ready for it. 
Um, but let's say if I had a patient that was not open to that, which is what I had when I was in my other practice and still under traditional podiatry taking insurance and seeing everything from ingrown toenails to, you know, fungus. <laughs> all that other fun stuff. I know. So I I would wear I would wear the minimal shoes. I actually saw patients with Vibram five fingers, and all my patients just thought it was crazy. But they were like, "You don't walk on the street with those, do you?" Not because they were ugly, but because they were so minimal. And they're like, and I'm like, "Yeah, I actually do." And then that kind of would be an open conversation. I ask every single patient that I see what shoes they wear. And then I'm like, do you wear this just when you commute in New York? That's where I saw patients for, for 10 years. Um, or is this your gym shoe? Is this your, right? If you come to my office, you bring all your, not all your shoes. Joseph would have a lot of shoes to bring. <laughs> but bring your, bring your current gym shoe, bring your current everyday shoe, and then I can have a conversation around it. Um, but I will tell them that this is a, to get you into a quiescent state from a pain perspective is necessary for anything else I speak to you about to actually stick. Like I can't try to correct your foot to core sequencing and proprioceptive awareness of your body and your pelvic floor if you have a 10 out of 10 plantar fasciitis. That's not gonna work, right? Yeah, yeah you um, need some buy-in first. Right, so then the transition. I use the gym as the location for the transition. And I believe that everyone, regardless of foot type, should be able to do something, some stuff barefoot or super minimal in a gym environment because you're controlled and you could be as ballistic or non-ballistic in your exercises and your programming as you choose, really. Um, so that's where I'll usually do that transition. What are you, when it comes to- Right, shoes, right. we all have a very, go ahead, Brianne, sorry. I was gonna say, when it comes to shoes themselves as far as making that transition, um, like we're not going to go from wearing a Hoka or New Balance straight to wearing a zero shoe. So like what's, I know what I suggest typically, but what's, how do you transition somebody from a very, very stable structured shoe to being more barefoot on a regular basis or minimalist shoe being that we do have to wear shoes in public? I think we should have that conversation of whether they're actually in a stable shoe. What do you mean? Are they in a stable shoe? Like, how do they know they're in a stable shoe? You can shoe? really ask that question whether they are in a stable shoe. Like, if, if they have a shoe that uh, $5 at Walmart, we, we know that there's very little... Those are actually really good shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just, like, so minimal that yeah. you hate them. Okay, touche, touche, but... <laughs> The mock Nike. Cool. Okay, the mock Nikes, the mock Adidas. <laughs> I know what like you're talking like about too. Yeah. Yes. When they make the, some of the shoes over at, at Walmart that's like next to nothing, you're like, ooh, hey, cheap and will serve a purpose that keeps me minimal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My Vivo barefoots are not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Joseph, that's why that's I wore, wore vans for the longest time. They're like 30, 40 bucks a pair. You could beat them to shit. But they're flat. They may have a, a thicker rubber sole on them, but you can get a, you can get a lot of benefits out of it too. For like ten bucks a pair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Keds. Wasn't Keds? Kegs. Yep. Yeah. 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 My little one, my my daughter just got a pair of snakeskin uh, 
double stacked Chuck Taylors, and I'm and they spent like seventy bucks on them. I'm like, that's crazy. That's Nike. Nike owns Chuck uh, yeah. Converse, though. So. Dude, those hurt my feet. They're too stiff for me. Narrow too. The last, they're they're but they're stiff. Narrow. They're very narrow. They're narrow. Yeah. Um, they're the poor man's lifting shoe, right? They, well, <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. Thing that is, but, you did bring up a good point, though, Joseph. As far as these cheap shoes, like Walmart shoes or or whatnot, is that if you're actually buying a supportive shoe from Walmart, let's say like a running shoe, and you're actually going to go running, they are cheap for a reason. The materials they use bottom out very quickly. I did a a, a study for. It was like one of the magazines, like a company that owns like five different publications or something like that. And they had me come in and they bought 20 pairs of shoes and cut them all in half and then sent them to me. So I could see literally all of like the inside of the shoe, the guts and the quality of the foam and the quality of literally aspect, every aspect of the shoe. And it's really amazing. The the materials that you don't realize and how cheap where you can cut quarter cut corners in the shoe on the inside and the consumer doesn't even know and then that's why that's that's why you're going to get plantar fasciitis from a shoe like that because you think it's supporting you and you don't have the foot strength to counter the fact that that shoe is not doing anything for you but so i would i would i would definitely want to come to come back to that point as well, but I do want to make sure we cover Brianne's question as well as how we kind of get somebody <laughs> down. I think, they, I think they kind of, they dovetail into each other, what, what Emily's talking about, the, the shock absorption. So I could actually use myself as, as an example here. I mean, I was in Brook Beasts, you know what those are, for a very, very long time with custom orthotics in there that would essentially bolster up the arch of my feet. And once I started to wear those things down, this is a common complaint you hear from a lot of people is that, oh, my feet hurt too much to wear these shoes anymore because the material has broken down so much. But what's the reason why behind that, right? It's because the, the, the muscles in the foot were essentially on vacation the whole entire time you were wearing those shoes, never had to work. And you know, they would, now they had to come back to life and come back to work once all that support wears down and they can't control it. So what ends up happening is we start getting a lot of excessive stress down on that plantar fascia. And that's where, I mean, that issue can take a lot until it can't anymore. And they'll start screaming at you eventually. Um, but then going after Brianne's question is, okay, well, we get somebody, like Emily talked about, is we now have educated them. And they're on board. And they're bought in to what kind of plan we have for them. How do we progress them down? So I think it would be very, uh, <laughs> it would be very prudent to take somebody who's been in shoes like that their entire lives. It's like, oh, you've got to wear even, uh the Vivo Barefoots or you got to go to the Five Fingers, like that might not be the best solution. Like that's probably going to send them over the edge as well. You have to be able to use a stepwise process to bring them down. So what I typically recommend to people is first, like if you have orthotics in there, let's start taking them out and spending some time in the shoe itself without the orthotics in. Let the foot get adapted to and accustomed to that situation, that environment. And once you're okay with that, now we can take the, shoe, the orthotics out completely. Maybe we start taking the insole that comes with the shoe out of the shoe. And you start progressing it down in a stepwise fashion until eventually, okay, now we can start looking at shoes that have a lower heel to toe drop. And then progressing it down into a zero millimeter heel to toe drop and eventually into a thinner and thinner cushioned shoe. And like I said, my, my whole progression went over a three-year time span. I didn't do this thing 
straight off the back cold turkey. Like <laughs> I try to, I try to, just like I also, just like I also tried to wear um, the toe spreaders in between my toes to sleep at night. If you want to experience the ultimate <laughs> foot cramp ever, go ahead and do that. It is like a knife being driven into the bottom of your foot and waking you up in the middle of the night. Um, so I think there's a smart way to do this uh, versus, you know, and this is reason why these uh, five fingers got such a bad rap in the beginning when they came out is because people went from these big cushiony shoes into the five fingers and went to run their 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathons in them and started giving them themselves fractures in the foot and the shin and shin splints and all these nasty injuries and blame the shoes. And it was really just us being idiots as humans and thinking that we can just go right into something like that. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes. You know, I love being barefoot. I am barefoot as much as possible, but when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt, in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when Zero Shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last. They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty, meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes and they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. You can go check them out at Zero Shoes, that's spelled X-E-R-O, shoes.com, slash go, slash getyourfixpt. And you can find all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now, back to our conversation. I mean, that's exactly what I do with a patient or someone who's following my programs is that's how I would transition them. The only thing that I would add to that is that they're doing daily foot release. Mm -hmm. So they're releasing their feet on a, a golf ball, a cross ball, whatever it is, um, every morning, every evening for five minutes. I tell people to put it in their bathroom next to their sink when they brush their teeth, release their feet. So you have no excuses. Unless if you don't brush your teeth, then we have a <laughs> But... <laughs> But you're we'll put those people down. You get twice a day foot release, and then can you, on top of that, add start to add in foot specific strengthening versus just me being bare or me wearing minimal shoes is my foot exercise? No, 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 that's not the foot exercise. It, I guess, some people who are super. This goes back to the sketch of shape ups could want to see that. But you have to do foot specific strengthening which could be simple as something as simple as you know balancing on one leg is a foot exercise you're engaging your intrinsics when you do that you could go into short foot which um, is one of my favorite exercises if you happen to take yoga i'm like guess what you are doing foot exercises that's great a lot of these things like that so i just try to balance the targeted foot strengthening with targeted foot recovery during that exact same transition that you do and that's a recipe for success just blossoms, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think that I think that's an important component to to uh, talk about as well is the the strengthening side of things because if you never change how the foot is interacting with the ground, you're never impacting the natural biomechanics that we've essentially 
shit on over the past couple of decades with wearing shoes and we have to re-educate the foot with that. We kind of have to wake the foot up in a way and take them through the three different planes of motion that the body can move in. Like the foot is completely three-dimensional. So we need to be able to expose it as such and start to train in those, into those different patterns, those different planes. So we could actually build up the movement literacy and start to fill in the gaps and fill in the holes that have been, some people have dug themselves into some pretty deep holes over the years as well. And that, and that does take some time as well. Yeah, I mean, I, awesome. I would, I, sorry, go ahead, Joseph. Comment on that one, Matthew. Uh, about uh, 10 years ago, I did a Olympic lifting certification over back in uh, Berkeley, California, mm. with their Olympic lifting coach. And for one week, we just did 35% uh, of our body weight deadlift barefoot. One week. Mm -hmm. That's it. All we did, RDLs. I can mm -hmm. show you the ins and outs of an RDL. <laughs> One of the beautiful things that he did to us is he decided, he really showed us how our footing into the ground and what the types of shoes you use, that importance it is. All he did was take a piece of cardboard, no more than that big, and placed it underneath our big toe. And that 30%, 35% just felt a hundredfold. And it was just something as simple as that much of a change of a piece of cardboard, a piece of cardboard that your, your foot can easily push down into that, how it disrupted. And if we're talking about something that small underneath one digit, imagine when the whole entire foot stability is just off its rocker, for, so to speak. Yeah. That's awesome that they did that. When I did uh, a little bit of Olympic lifting, my coach said, that you are either barefoot or you're in Ollie shoes. Like that's it. Anything, anything in between, like, like these would be awful. I felt really unstable in these. And he's like, you can't, you're better off be, take them off, be barefoot. Is inaccurate from there. Yep. Yeah. You have to feel the ground and you either feel it barefoot or you feel it through the hardness and the stiffness of an Ollie shoe that there's a reason that they are as they are, um, which actually ties into what I was going to say that I also add in from a foot strengthening. It. it is foot kinesthetic awareness that no one knows where their feet are in space. And that of having been a gymnast, I was also a barefoot athlete then. So I love being barefoot for my entire life. I grew up being barefoot, um, martial arts, dance, gymnastics, other barefoot sports. You have a high kinesthetic awareness of where your feet are because you've always been barefoot. So I try to add that in as well, that if someone's going from a supportive shoe and lots of cushion to a minimal shoe, they don't know, they, they don't know the foot placement that is required and that accuracy and that awareness when you are in something minimal. So I would add in training for that as well, which is barefoot training. I use a mirror. I like to do mirror training with, with building foot kinesthetic awareness, but yeah. That's the definition of athleticism, right? Like I'm going to steal John Wellborn's definition here. And Emily, you've been on Power Athletes podcast, so you know how John is. But uh, his, their definition of athleticism is the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or a novel task. That seamless and that effortless movement is your proprioception and the kinesthetic awareness that you just eloquently described. All right? It's knowing where your body's at in space without having to think about it. Because as an athlete, if you have to think about your movement, 
you're not going to be very fast. You're not going to be very agile. You're not going to be very strong. You're not going to be very powerful because you're causing too much paralysis by analysis. So one very, very easy way to improve your athleticism is to be training barefoot. And that's not to say that like being in your cleats or your only shoes or anything that you need to wear for your sport is bad. It's just that you've now developed the other end of the spectrum so that you can use that information. You can use that athleticism, that kinesthetic awareness that you built on the field, on the pitch, on the court. Yeah. I, I didn't know that was their definition, but that that's a beautiful definition. As you could tell, it's been drilled into my mind over the years. No, so. I tell people that they should be moving, even if they're a football player, they should be moving with the grace of a dancer. Of course, I go back to like dance because I love that. But a dance analogy. We all dance with the ground, which sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like the more that you are in rhythm and graceful and effortless in the way that you interact with the ground, which is the foot interface, the the lower the risk of injury or the increase the performance you will have. Like it's, it goes both ways. No, it'd be really interesting to see now that like it's kind of piqued my interest is being that when you don't have that kind of aesthetic sense, if you're always in shoes, you really have to retrain that. Like falling especially as an older adult, like it'd be interesting to see stats as far as how many of them are barefoot versus how many of them have shoes on at the time. I could send you some. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that, I think you already have a strong assumption and you're leaning probably more towards the fact of reality on that assumption based oh, yeah. on conversations. Yeah. And most, most of those that do fall that are not in shoes, more than likely, they were more than likely falling not while on their feet. So like falling out of a chair or, you know, slipping, slipping, um, slipping from sitting down. And yes, that is a thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all been in the industry long enough to experience. Well, I fell down. How? I slipped. Doing what? Sitting down. All right. <laughs> Yeah, actually, most recently I was at a client's house training him and he had one of those, you know, at home gym benches and the thing wasn't locked in good support. I went to sit down on it. The thing gave way and I went straight down, but I caught myself in a nasty grass squat. So I didn't necessarily fall over. I was like, oh, see, this training is working. <laughs> and I wasn't in shoes either. So. <laughs> That's funny. But there, there is a lot of research, Brianne, that looks at shoes in seniors or boomers or fall risk individuals and how it greatly contributes to their fall risk because of its um it delays the ability to perceive joint position sense and then when you correct from a shift in your center of gravity or shift in the joint what you perceive as corrected is actually inaccurate and and they'll do that through um kind of position position training like i want you to reproduce the angle that i just put your foot in or your ankle in or something like that and the reproducibility reproducibility rate is actually very low because they're essentially muffled with the cushion in the shoe now shoes that actually decrease that would be like a hoka so the hoka has a lot of cushion but it has the stiff piece through it and the hardness of that midsole shank going through it actually increased some of their proprioceptive awareness. So, but there's a lot of research. There's um, a Dr. Stephen Robbins 
His website is stephenrobbinsmd.com. He dedicated his career to studying footwear, fall risk, seniors. Very cool. It's a very specific niche. That is very So other than potentially seniors and, and older adults who could benefit for some, from a shoe like that because of the research supporting it and, and validating it, is there a need for those shoes for potentially a younger population from a specific sport standpoint? Is there any benefit for it? For a whole cup? Yeah. <laughs> this might be a softball question, but. <laughs> so, I mean, Hocus was designed as an ultra marathon shoe, period. Mm -hmm. That is what it's used for. Which there is, every, there is utility for, correct? Every wants to use it because they're like, oh, it's soft. It's yeah. like a, right? It's like, it's like a pillow or like a trampoline that I'm on or whatever. People love it. And then they, then they have a hard time getting out of it because they, they drink the cushion Kool-Aid. <laughs> I think I think you need to trademark that one now too. That's a good cushion Kool-Aid. Yeah. So that that design is an ultra training shoe, and I think what we what we see a lot of the demographics that are having issues with their feet is they're thinking one they're not going back to the primal movement, obviously. So they're deficient in anything outside of that. So that's number one. But number two is they're they're using a Phillips head screwdriver to try to remove a flat head bit. They're trying to use a the end of a knife to replace a flat head screwdriver. So they're they're just trying to work outside of their means by making something that can be cross uh, you know cross cross utilization. When unfortunately, you know I, I don't wear my my hokas outside of running anything less than ten. I don't wear my. Um, uh, my my ultra training shoes, which are which are my my my, um, my my obstacle course racing shoes, outside of a race course or a short trail run I, or a long trail run. I mean, my short trail runs are with my Vivo Barefoots. Mm -hmm. Like these are my short trail run shoes. So um, you're using it appropriately, which is great. A lot of I don't think we have enough conversations of the fact that. Let's just be honest what shoes really are. If you do wear them, they're freaking tools. Use the tools for their intended purpose. You know, you don't use a spatula to, or you don't use a, the same spatula for, for cook, sauteing your vegetables that you use to take off a fish. And if you do, you're going to break the fish. That's why they make a spatula that is wide and light for fish. I, it's just treating the, the, the shoes as a, am I mute? No, no, you're good. No, I'm just, we're, yeah. this is beautiful. Oh. These, are, these are such great analogies. These help. That these yeah. are like, there are tons of shoes that we have available. And like you said, you know, certain talking about these transitions, um, maybe the transition also needs to be applied into, hey, here are the tools. Here are the, here's their usefulness as a tool. If you're not using the tool, don't wear them. Yeah. Well, even like, to keep it in the sports realm too, like thinking about a sprinter's spike versus a distance runner's spike are completely different. Like I would never run a sprinter's spike where when I ran my 3200 in high school, um, like you wouldn't wear soccer cleats to go run a marathon, you know, it's like, there's just like, these shoes have a purpose. And I think when it comes to, especially distance running, like no one really knows what these different shoes are for. 
Right. I mean, that goes to whoever they're working with that the running coach needs to be trained or is it the podiatrist that needs to be trained or the physical therapist, whoever it is to be able to be that specific with the athlete or with the individual. And then a broader, a broader outlet for the athlete to get these needs. I'm, I'm not, not to, if anybody's making any cash on the side, I, I totally understand. But at the end of the day, we want to address the individuals as a, as a whole rather than in that small general population that we control. So as a whole, an outlet for individuals to kind of get some of the informations, like you said earlier about, you know, the toe box, the, uh, the, the heel grab, the, uh, the center inline. I've actually experienced, um, there is a site, if any of you guys have heard of it, it's called runrepeat.com. And <laughs> what they did is uh, non-biased, I mean, at least to a good point. <laughs> and they've taken a shoe, a, they'll take a certain shoe and they'll have 100 individuals sample out these shoes. And then they do the whole back end spectrum measurements, inside sole, fabrics used, weight, circumference, best terrain, best uh, best uh, usage of the shoe, the types of shoes these are good for, for types of people, the um, the means of the use. And, and they've done it for thousands and thousands of shoes and they're up to date. The thing I like the best about it is I'm not making money off shoes. So I'm always able to say, hey, whoever these people have as a recommendation, they're going to have the best online deal available for that shoe. Uh, you can go and find these Hoka's 140 bucks. Yay. Right away. Uh, but somebody might be selling them for 79 over at overstock.com. They'll send you right there. Just mm -hmm. a really cool infographic that they put out recently about arch supports and shoes. And like when they're good, when they're bad. I mean, it's yeah, just well, education. That's all that it is. It's consumer yeah. education that is accurate. Yes. Correct. So you have to look at the sources that you're getting the education from. And so generally, whenever I get the request, hey, what kind of shoe, what kind of shoe for this, what kind of shoe for that? I was like, hey, just go to this website. If the cons don't look like anything that, that you experience on a regular basis, uh, that's a shoe for you to express interest in and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go a slightly different direction. I want to talk sandals because we're in Arizona. We're the world of sandals. Um, a lot of people are, a lot of people are in flip-flops, which I think all of us on here understand they aren't the greatest for us because it changes foot mechanics. Um, so I want to dive into that a little bit, like flip-flops, good, bad, like what do they do to our foot? I mean, there are realities, so you have to understand that. <laughs> there are reality. The best sandals actually need to be strapped to your foot. Because if it's not hooked onto your foot, you will change your mechanics when you take a step. And I call it flip-flop foot. And <laughs> it's when someone has taken a step and they do My trademarks here. This. I know I have so many of them. But every time they pick up their foot, they do this thing. Every time they so they're like carrying the sandal with them. And that causes a lot of uh, perineal lateral gastroc. IT band, kind of all this kind of dominance when they're doing something like that. They're like an egg beater with their ankle. Um, Which is great for treading water, right? But, not necessarily <laughs> exactly. water on land. but obviously doing that over and over can create a lot of issues. Um, they enter swing phase early. So you'll actually, you can't get through a full um, 
push off rigid lever position. So you pick your foot up a little bit too early in the gait cycle. And then some, depending on the shoe, people will hold on to it and actually carry the shoe with them, like by contracting their toes. That's um, on, what was that? That's ninja skills. Yes, like a ninja skill. <laughs> like a gecko holding on to it. It it comes Um, from the fact like you have to, if you have a sandal that has a thong, you have to grip it. You You, just like that, yeah. Yeah, you have to hold it on, like Emily's saying, hold it on to your foot piece. Um, But what then happens is you can't activate the windlass mechanism, right? Right. Which is the ability of that big toe to actually go into extension, which drives our hip extensors or adductors to transition and and propel ourselves forward. Mm -hmm. That's, you get that kind of whipping that leg around out of as a compensation pattern out of necessity yeah you can't get away from it it's impossible and believe me i tried <laughs> yeah you know actually similar to that then when you strike the ground when your heel strikes the ground when you're walking with a flip-flop or a sandal like a loose sandal on you can't you can't stiffen your foot sufficiently because you're actually trying to keep this sandal on and you're also kind of like ah, at the beach like kind of like lazy feet in sandals like people just slide their feet sometimes um that if you can't strike the ground with a stiff enough foot the vibration of your foot hitting the ground enters your plantar fascia and your achilles tendon in an uncontrolled way so that's really what causes plantar fasciitis achilles tendonitis in like flip-flops versus it being no arch support like I, I actually don't care that flip flops don't have art support. To me, that's much less the conversation, and it's more everything else that we kind of spoke about. We are seeing flip flops that are being developed with art support in them now as well, too. Yeah, that's because I mean, playing devil's advocate, I hear this from clients all the time. Oh, but I have flat feet. Like I, I need to wear this type of flip flop, or I need to wear this type of shoe. And I'm like, really? Well, welcome to the club. Me too. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like 70% of us do have flat feet and that leaves 30% that have the quote unquote supinated foot, which is, it's perceived as the more beneficial one, but that could also be a problem too with it being too rigid. And I wonder what almost like percentage of those individuals have like a calcaneus that's just like everted and swung out to the side, which means that the forefoot's compensating and becoming too rigid. So it's like driving with the accelerator on and, the, and, and trying to hit the brake at the same time it doesn't work very well, which is kind of like what walking in flip-flops is. I think that's a great analogy as well for that one. That's really interesting. And it makes sense on with how she described it, but I don't wear flip-flops that often, but I literally have like one pair by the front door so I can take the trash out without having to like go get shoes. And uh, pre- wearing my boots, still having my Liz Frank injury, like pretty severe. I definitely was not comfortable in those flip-flops when I was walking briefly in them. Well, I mean. Were you wearing socks? Oh, that's a totally <laughs> that's different story, a right? problem. <laughs> that's why. I can see you as a sock and flip-flop guy, Joseph. No. <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and, and what's funny is I've got a pair upstairs, a pair downstairs, uh, three pairs downstairs, one in the car, two at the gym. Uh, I mean, I, I, I swear and live off my flip-flops. Uh, but I, right? But, yeah, yeah. but um, we, we, I would love for you to take a look at my, my posture because due to my Morton's toe, I would still not be kicking off primarily from my, uh, my larger toe. I'm already, I'm already pushing off from the uh, big toe in front of me. 
You know, Joseph, there is a very easy surgery for that. <laughs> Just shorten I, that puppy up. Why do chop it. Do Just chop it. it. All I need to do is go through crack this stuff. Off. Come on over. No, I'm just I'll come over with the butcher's <laughs> knife and just help me out a lot. I'm really well, not a cool guy. <laughs> in all seriousness, there is a surgery. There is a surgery. It's a two-week recovery, very quick, easy recovery. You could actually do it in the office, depending on the podiatrist. I used to do them in my office. I'm oh, good. Pack it. <laughs> I'll come with the video camera, Emily. It'll be it'll be great. Uh, great material. <laughs> it has taken me decades to figure out how to move as appropriately as possible with what I got right now. And I just realized about a year ago that I have Morton's toe. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it also, Morton's toe means that you come from royalty. Ooh. There it is. <laughs> That's always what I told you. Conversation Matt and I were having in the beginning. I'm give you the good news first. And then the bad news, we gotta cut it off. There's <laughs> <laughs> all royalty, off with their head. <laughs> oh my this is like the one situation where amputation, which is typically used as a joke, is actually very useful. And then, yeah, <laughs> right? I'm not offended, but yeah. <laughs> Currently, I have a good relationship with all of them right now, all, all 20 of them. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're counting these guys' spirit fingers? Yes, yes. The upper top. <laughs> oh, wow. Boy. Bring us back on track, Brian. <laughs> right? First exercise that you did barefoot that opened up and awakened your mind. Ooh. What is the first barefoot exercise? Yes. That's a great question. That, that opened up and awakened your mind that this process is, is the direction you should be in. You feel advancement, development, yeah. you know, success, uh, uh, you know, or just, just that momentum moving forward. It doesn't have to be like the first meaning it was the first time you ever did it, but it was the first awakening mm. that the right path. Yeah. I, mean, I know for me, I, I told you I was a gymnast for, for 13 years. So obviously that's a barefoot sport. Um, some gymnasts will actually wear beam shoes. I never wore beam shoes at all during gymnastics. And then I started teaching classes and I would actually just teach them barefoot. I, I taught balance-based classes, not realizing it would be a thing for the rest of my career. But uh, I would teach group exercise and I would do it barefoot because it was just like easier and I could. And then I started to connect how my balance is better when I taught those balance-based classes barefoot. And then I actually just made it a thing that everyone had to do the class barefoot. So it kind of evolved from that, from like a group X setting um, that I would say that that would be the biggest connection. What was the exercise that opened up that connection? I mean, even just like a single leg stance. Like it was just, it was literally that. I mean, it could be short foot, short foot, but that was further in my career where me seeing short foot from reading Dr. Yonda's research of what is this thing. I was one of the first people bringing back his research around short foot. And now everyone's fucking talking about short foot. But, you know, I was doing it. You started the trend. 
<laughs> That's the trend. Um, but yeah, short foot is my go-to to see the power of the foot, especially when you do it the right way and you push your toes down and you engage your pelvic floor at the same time and you're like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. And then you put your tongue into your palate at the same time and you're like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. That is pretty awakening. I feel pretty stable. Um, one that connects your whole deep front line and your central core, but it actually stimulates your reticular activating system in the brain and it wakes up your brain. So. I had a, I had a very similar experience um, with squatting because as, as a former athlete, like I stayed in my quote unquote athletic position my entire life, right? In cleats, which means I never squatted below probably about 60 to 70 degrees of hip flexion. That's just, it wasn't a thing. Um, so I had really, really tight hips until I too was doing that type of movement where it's root, essentially like rooting down through the feet, creating the foot as a tripod and engaging the pelvic floor. And then I added one little component of the diaphragm by just, you know, puffing out some air and then the, the tongue on the top of the palate. I'm like, holy shit, my hips just opened up. <laughs> After all these years of trying to do all these banded hip mobility exercises and trying to smash out my glutes and all that to no avail, like talk about the wasted hours and time. Like, oh, if we actually get the connection happening, like Emily just described from the foot to the core type of sequencing, your brain then realizes it has control and stability over these joints and will start to open up the range of motion. I was like, oh, there's something to this now. <laughs> For me, it wasn't a specific exercise, but it was just, it was a transition for me to running in Vibrams. Mm. Um, I had run in regular shoes with my orthotics for years in order to stop my knee pain. And as a curious PT, I was like, what are these shoes? Let's just see what happens. <laughs> so picked them up, just more of an experiment. And within... Six months, I was completely out of my orthotics, both running and walking around, and no knee pain, no issue since. So for me, it was more of just that transition of figuring out, like, we can actually use our feet to control the mechanics up the chain. Uh, for me, it came way after fighting. So I have a, I have a patella subluxation on my right leg. Many, 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 many years and decades of getting it kicked. Now the groove, now the patella doesn't fit in the groove anywhere. So if you guys want to ever hear it, I can make it pop at will. <laughs> <laughs> nice party trick. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Yeah. What was that? <laughs> uh, but um, relearning how to squat and deadlift all over again, just basic functions. Looking, I mean, after I dislocated my leg, looking at a toilet felt like murder. <laughs> <laughs> which you know that happens two or three times a day correct so that's that's a lot of ptsd uh, yeah <laughs> so uh, but re but thinking that the issue to fix it was my valgus or my bicep femoral on my right leg you know maybe it was uh, the fact that my my, my gastroc and my soleus were just way too big for the stabilization that my knee needed no it was plain and simple getting like you said matthew rooting my feet my toes into the ground and realizing that the weight distribution can, can go on my entire foot and not just on spots but it can go throughout my entire foot which then takes more pressure off of the knee the quad the hamstring and then like you said Matthew it allowed me also to sink deeper but it was actually a sandbag that opened up the awareness for me because the the using the sandbag as a as a resistance feedback tool pulling it closer to me as I went down 
meant I changed my understanding of my relationship in space. It kind of goes back to a lot of things you were talking about, Emily. That brought me back to, you know, fighting. The thing that separates a dancer and a fighter is not, not your relationship in space, but your relationship with someone else in space as well. Mm -hmm. You're dancing with a duet. But the only difference between fighting and dancing as a couple is uh, I'm going against an unwilling opponent right. versus a willing partner. Yeah. <laughs> but just relearning that relationship of my own personal self in space and that the, my, my perception, the what I see, isn't my relationship in space. So, you know, uh, going down, pulling the sandbag into me and just feeling my body redistribute. That was the first day I went, I, I knocked out uh, 50 squats and the next day wasn't walking with a limp or wasn't walking with pain in my knee. Everything circulated. So, but it was grounding my feet. Mm -hmm. That's really essentially, um, I was already doing it before that. I felt better, but every time I worked out with shoes, I felt different. Yeah, you essentially just restored the natural mechanics from the ground up with your feet, right? Exactly. And it didn't take any coaching, did it? Uh, it did. Well, okay, maybe a little bit. It, no. <laughs> I was working with John Wolf. Okay. He's the director, the chief uh, fitness officer of Onnit Academy right now. Oh, awesome. I was working with John Wolf for a good long time, and it was just a good awareness because he was the most bendy, bendable strong guy I've ever met in my life like straight up loading up a barbell mm -hmm. and doing 90 90 pigeon swims across the ground with his feet while holding onto the bar that's impressive but super he, impressive every time he got ready to ex every time he got ready to demonstrate every time he got ready to exercise every time he went to do a an instruction he always slipped his shoes off to the side and then came and demonstrated so like that was the first cue that, oh, well, I guess I don't need the shoes, okay. right? Uh, so that was my big rude awakening. Uh, I was still dabbling back and forth, but, did, uh, but it was unintentional. You know, it was, uh, I should have been playing the lottery at that time because I was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's how we learn the best things. Yeah. Um, but like you said, Matthew, about restructuring, restoring from the feet up. Uh, you know, that kind of ties into that old Chinese proverb, uh, you know, we die from the feet up. I mean, we can, we can get into a lot of the witchy woo-woo stuff too, but your foot actually being grounded to the earth. and Exactly. Getting yeah. the foot on. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and all the, the electromagnetic fields from the, from the earth as well and how that will help restore things um, throughout the rest of the body. And there's some, there's some good research on that too. Uh, but I think that maybe we could say that one for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note to start closing things out we've discussed a lot we could go on for hours but anything we haven't talked about that you guys feel is still really important to bring up today mm. I, I i say taking care of your feet guys girls go get those manis petty <laughs> still on that huh yeah, I'm still on that. I, I, you still got to take care of your feet, right? Because even so, if, even if you, is, is there something wrong with these? Yeah, yeah. You got some cows in the back end. You need, you need yeah. some little Asian lady to like just dig into. It. <laughs> hey, you want acrylic gel? You want acrylic gel? Fun fact is, I'm I'm big in Asia, right? They love me over there, so. Why <laughs> 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 <Wilo. laughs> 
<laughs> the blonde hair, blue eyes thing. You're going to be on your feet often, and calluses are not everything. Yes, they create a barrier between your feet and the ground, but it's still it's still dead skin. You won't. You still want to remove it, get that off your body, and bring your feet back to its its own natural toughness without a barrier. I mean, because we're still talking about shoes as a barrier. If you take care of your feet, keep them nice and, and well tended, uh, then you're able to. It's still skin. It's still muscle providing on skin. If you get a massage for your back, why not get one for your feet? Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I would say what I would add is just emphasizing the whole balance, strength, and recovery. That is the most important thing, regardless of the shoes that you wear, or if you're going more minimal, or you train barefoot, or you actually are barefoot as a complete lifestyle, you have to balance strength and recovery. And that every tissue has a, has a threshold. Your goal is to heighten that threshold and stay as far away from that as possible, because we are all susceptible to some injury and that is the secret to reducing injury is just stress and recovery. You can never prevent the injury, but we can always mitigate the risk for it. Yes. Um, I, I think some key take home points from this whole conversation were that shoes are used to protect, right? We do need them occasionally and or for sports specific activities. But then like Joseph said too, they are also a tool and so use them appropriately. But then at the end of the day, we still need to spend as much time as we can barefoot, really explore and experience novel movements, novel situations, novel environments, and really start to feed the nervous system, start to wake up the feet as much as we can. Beautiful. And I'll just kind of close it out with, like, it really is this kind of everything you guys said all thrown together, essentially, that we... We do need shoes at times. There's a proper shoe for every situation and person in order to change what type of shoe we're in. If we want to, if you're willing to go to more of a minimal shoe, we do have to add that strengthening, strengthening balance and recovery aspect to it. And at the end of the day, just taking care of our feet is what's going to get us everything. So. Thank you so much, Matt, Dr. Emily, and Joseph for joining today. I am so thrilled with this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye. This is fun. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that episode today. Before I close out, I wanna to talk to you about my eight week return to running program. If you've been off running for a period of time, just because life's gone the best of you, or maybe you've been injured and had to take some time off, Returning to running properly is key. Meaning don't ramp up too fast, too soon, or you're just setting yourself up for injury or perhaps re-injury. That's why I created this eight week return to running program. It ramps you up properly and safely so you can minimize that risk of injury as you return to running. So head over to getyourfixpt.com courses to check out my eight week return to running program, as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again for tuning in today. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>